standard issue for all women. Hello there, Mickey here. I'm just at a carrot. I mean, not particularly interesting information, but when you first start out in podcasting, one of the things that you're told not to do is to eat just before you record. And I think maybe it's just because I'm a total professional now. But I feel fine. I've eaten a carrot. Don't think it's affected me. I mean, it was delicious, had a nice time, but I don't think it's affected my podcasting. Anyway, there you go. Welcome to this week's Sunday Chops, and indeed autumn, which has finally come crashing in, dripping its umbrella all over the kitchen floor and making a right muddy mess on the rug. I still love it though. Knitwear is delightful. And good for wrapping up in while you take a stroll around your local park. Am I right, fellow dog walkers and nature lovers, and indeed Hannah? Parks and green spaces are the order of the chops. Did you hear how seamless that segue was? I told you, total pro. Thank you, Kara. This week, I'm having a chat with Susanna Walker. She and Imogen Clark are the two very excellent women behind Make Space for Girls. And you may remember my chat with them a couple of years ago when the charity was just nine months old. Two years on, and its campaign to make our parks and public spaces more friendly and accommodating for tween and teenage girls continues apace. So I call up with Susanna to talk about their recently released Park Watch report, the fact that most parks have more facilities for dog waste than for teenage girls, and why we're still in the situation where 90% of the facilities provided are about 90% used by the male 50% of the population. Don't despair though. Oh God, it's so easy to despair. But don't. Susanna also has good news. And blimey, could we all do with some of that right now? Hello, I'm joined on the Zoom by Susanna Walker, co-founder alongside Imogen Clark of the excellent Make Space for Girls, which, uh, well, aims to do what it says on the tin when it comes to our parks and other public spaces. Susanna, hello. Hello, really nice to be back. It's great to have you back. It's two years, more than two years since I chatted with you and Imogen about Make Space for Girls, which was just nine months old at the time. I'm going to assume it's all sorted now, yes? Well, yes, it's one of those things like tearing down the patriarchy. It seems to take longer than you'd think. A lot has happened and there has been some progress, which is great, but there is still a lot of work to do because and also, it takes time. It takes time to build new play areas. Absolutely. And councils don't have as much money as they'd like at the moment. Yeah, I realise it's a little bit cold to Newcastle, but please can you remind our listeners why it's important that girls, and we're mostly talking tweens and teenagers here, are catered for in these public parks and public spaces. Yeah, and it's really good you say about the age thing because what's provided for younger children tends to be very equal because parents are really good enforcers of equality. If you've got parents or adults around, they will generally make things relatively fair. But once children start going to parks on their own, the research is very clear that the spaces are dominated by boys. And what we tend to do in this country, very specifically, is provide things, quote, for teenagers, unquote, which are predominantly aimed at and used by boys. So skate parks, BMX tracks, and the what's known in the jargon as the Mooga, which is the fenced pitch that you know when you see uh-huh. it. The fence yeah. the pitch, high fences, narrow entrances, really does not feel safe for teenage girls because it's it's a caged space full of boys. Yeah. I mean, I think twice about going into it as, as an adult. So we need to rethink what we're doing in parks and public spaces and think about the needs of teenage girls. I mean, at the most basic level, it's an equality issue. Girls and young women have a right to public space. And this is one of the things I feel most strongly about because 
if public space is telling you you don't belong, it's telling girls and young women that they belong at home. And I really did think we'd got over that by now. But what's also becoming clear is that there are big health impacts, both on activity levels and in adolescence, you're setting your activity levels for the rest of your life, but also mental health, access to green space in the jargon again, nature. They did a big sort of review of the literature and it's clear that for young people, 20 minutes twice a week can have a massive effect on mood. So in a world where girls are three times more likely to have a mood disorder than boys, shall we let them go to the park? Mm, maybe we shall. So, the, you know, lots of good reasons to do it. And the good thing is, I think the health reasons in particular mean that people are keen to create some change. OK, now you go, I'm going to use my special uh, bloke on the street voice here. So, uh, you know, well, parks exist. Girls can skateboard. They can play football. Why aren't the girls in them? Two answers to that. One is that actually the boys territorialise the spaces. And it's a small group of boys. There are plenty of boys who don't feel able to use the skate park or to use uh-huh. the um, Mooga. So that we can change the design of spaces so that they are split up into different spaces so that more groups can use them at once. But skateboarding is actually quite a minority pastime. Only 8% of teenagers overall skate, 2% of girls skateboard. And we're not saying get rid of these things, but let's add something else in as well. Girls want social seating, they want swings, they want trampoline, they want playful stuff for people their age. So we're not saying get rid of them, but let's have something else. And let's not just have this monoculture. 90% of what's in parks for teenagers is the old Mooga BMX track skate park. Yeah. So surely we can just be a bit more varied. The other thing is, and it's an approach that women in sport are pioneering with councils, is to think about it in terms of gender budgeting. So if you spend £100,000 on a Mooga, you're spending £90,000 on boys and £10,000 on girls. What's your point, Susanna? What's your point? <laughs> and and then you know, then that puts the onus on councils to think about their spending differently rather than just saying, oh, we've just plonked something out there and anybody can use it. But for safety reasons, which is, you know, a, one of the key barriers, girls don't feel that they can access those spaces. Yeah, yeah. And just to be clear, this inequality is written into planning and other council policies, isn't it? Absolutely. Fair. I think people feel quite pleased they've discovered teenagers at all and that they need play provision, but, <laughs> but we kind of need to move on from that. Yes, so there's a lot of, uh, whether it's open spaces policies or play policies or sometimes even in planning guidance that specifies facilities for teenagers as being moogas or skate parks. And we really do need to address that. But some councils have done this. Hackney have done a lovely bit of supplementary planning policy on play, but smaller councils can just literally change two paragraphs in their planning policies and say, think more broadly about what we might provide for teenagers. That's all it has to say. Then the developers on go, oh, well, they've said a mover and a skate park, so we'll provide a mover and a skate park. The other thing that we need to think about in terms of planning policy is pitches, because we're just starting to get the data through on this, but it's very clear that pitches are as male-dominated as the other facilities we provide. And again, 90% of the teams using pitches are boys and men. Yeah, we just saw all that bullshit with Vicky Park Rangers Football Club as well. It's rarely so obvious. Yeah. And everyone goes, oh, but the Lioness is, it's all improving. The FA are being really cagey about increased numbers for women's football. They're, they're talking in terms of opportunity rather than take up. But they reckon that over the last two years, there's been a 15 to 20% increase in girls play football which is great however to achieve equality in pitch use 
you would need a 993% increase in women's oh, football. Fucking hell, that's a big percent, Myers. It's worse in rugby. Um, <laughs> and even worse in cricket. But that means we need to provide other stuff. Again, we're not saying get rid of the pitches, but don't make it this totemic thing that everything has to have unless you're also providing something else that isn't just used by men and boys. I've got my big sponge finger on and I am like cheering, I'm cheering. This is all very good stuff. And indeed, you have been very busy in the two years since we last chatted and you've just published the Part Watch Report, which I've got to be honest, uh, I, I will surprise no one, it makes for pretty grim reading. Most parks have more facilities for dog waste than for teenage girls. It's one of the ooh, choice headlines. Tell us a bit about the research behind the report, please. There's that most of the facilities in parks are dominated by boys is something that people kind of always knew. And it's written into some documents, like the play, the play policy for Greater London says moogers are mostly used by boys. And it's acknowledged, but without data, you can't really argue the case as strongly. And so what we did was we asked people to go out and count in their local park to look at the teenage facilities and to count how many teenagers were active on each one and what proportion of those were girls. People went out brilliantly over the late Maybank holiday, counted nearly 1,800 teenagers all across the country it's a really good spread. We reckon we got counts on 5% of the skate parks in Britain, which oh, is really amazing. good. And the results were pretty clear. Skate parks and BMX tracks were 84% used by boys and young men, which aligns is pretty much exactly what Skateboard GB say. So we're kind of confident that result. Murgers were 92% used by boys and young men in some bits of the country that went up to 96 percent wow so these are not equal spaces and as i've said you know it's kind of obvious from the design they just don't work for girls they're not what girls want so it's now really clear for councils that they are providing facilities that are predominantly used by boys and young men and they do kind of have a duty under the equality act to think about this and think about what else they can provide. So the, the results are, as you said, they're simultaneously shocking and not surprising yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. I'm also, they're really, I'm really pleased with them because it's some, the argument then becomes very clear. You know, this is what's going on in parks. You can't go, oh, well, all right, when I walk past the skate park, it's full of girls. Yes, that's because they've got up at nine o'clock in the morning to go at a time when the boys aren't left. Now, councils kind of have to really address this. Absolutely. So Watch is a citizen science project. You've got people involved to go out, do some counting and send the results back to you. And that means its results are kind of anecdotal just to, to you know, be absolutely fair about this. But I am going to absolutely add mine to that because I've been doing the same count in my local park since just before we last chatted. You know, I did a bit of prep for that interview, obviously. And it's, it's just continued to align with your discoveries. I saw three women and a girl on the skate park last week and I nearly fucking fainted because that's never happened before. But then there were still 12 teenage boys there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, it is citizen science. It's rough and ready, but it's, you know, and we'd love to do it again in a couple of years' time, hopefully when we can actually start counting on stuff provided for teenage girls as well, Mm -hmm. see what difference it makes. But crucially, it's the only data we've got. I am not diminishing it. (laughs) No, but so we'll do. You know, if somebody else wants to do a beautifully researched academic peer-reviewed paper bring it on but for now it's what we've got you know 
it's a strong argument. And if somebody else wants to collect the data, great. And that's interesting as well, because when we last chatted, the response to you starting Make Space for Girls had been incredibly positive, apart from a few kind of helicopter dads you uh, mentioned who were like, oh, no, well, you know, the spaces are there where the girls can use them if they want to. I'd love for one of them to try and prove you wrong and then get shown that uh, actually 90% of the facilities provided are about 90% used by the male 50% of the population. Yes. Um, What's been really good about the last two years is how surprisingly little pushback there's been. And if anything, it's getting less. Good. Councils really want to do something different because it's it's what we talked about before. It's not that people absolutely hate girls. It's just that we're in the Caroline Corrado Perez land of the default male mm-hmm. and nobody's seen it. And once they've seen it, they've gone, oh, goodness, yes, we need to do something about this. So it's very, very rare that people are actually going, no, I'm not sure there are some people who are ignoring it quite happily. And that's, you know. We can't do everything all at once. But also developers are really taking it on board for new developments. They're really keen to embed social value, to embed equality into the designs and master plans of what they're doing. It take, again, these things will even roll through the system in three or four years' time, not now. But it's still all making a difference. And the really good news is that in the two years since we've spoken, there are now already three spaces in Britain which have been co-designed by teenage girls. There's a shelter in Oxford, which is done by a brilliant youth group in Oxford, who've now also put forward designs for another area of the park. And there are two areas in play spaces in Bradford, which were co-designed with groups of local girls, which have been built and are in there and are being used. Amazing, because that's the thing. It's that we're different facilities. So the things that teenage girls and teenage girls like are shelters, swings, tennis courts, play areas designed for older children, right? When they're there, the girls are three times more likely to show up and use them. That's huge. Absolutely. And the research shows that where bigger spaces happen and where they've done it in Sweden, that you can create a space that is 50-50 used by girls and boys. Oh, my God. It's like halcyon. Yeah, absolutely. The great thing is that what we're actually doing is creating more inclusive spaces. They're not girl spaces, you know, as the Swedish research shows. They have spaces that work for the boys who don't want to play on the movie as well. They, because they've broken down into different areas, different groups can use them simultaneously. LGBTQA plus teenagers will feel more able yeah. to, you know, everybody wins. And actually, although, you know, this is something that would take a lot of work, research to prove, I actually think that if you've got teenagers scattered around in different places rather than in one surly group on the skate park, they're less threatening for other people in turn. You've just mentioned the LGBTQ plus community of kids and kids are very much identifying in very different ways these days. So that inclusivity, it just feels like an easy win, right? Yeah, there's a brilliant American example of this. In America, what we've just described, which is if you make something better for one group, you make it better for lots of groups. They call the curb cut effect. So right at the beginning, there once upon a time, there was a time where pavements didn't have those dips in them at crossings. And in Berkeley, California there were some disability activists who used wheelchairs. And Berkeley is very hilly, so it was really difficult for them. So they campaigned for these, what in America are called curb cuts, to be put in. They went back nine months later, and of course, what they found is that they were used by, not just by people who used wheelchairs, people with prams, people with sticks, mobility issues, visual impairment, just almost everybody used them. So when you put in something to make it more inclusive, 
you benefit loads more people. We're not creating signs that say, this is just for girls, keep off. It's about just actually making better parks. I mean, um, at the risk of going off on a massive tangent, the amount of gratitude we owe to disability activists is just incredible for making the world more accessible for so many people. Yes. But I think what's interesting about this is there's also a next stage, which is about invisible disabilities. Because certainly in parks, a lot of the interventions are around wheelchair access, Uh you know, issues around mobility. But we've talked to parents of teenagers with autism some of whom, you know, it's not a, everybody does this, but some of whom find the sort of things a really good way to access the park. But when they get older, they get the same tutting from the moms and the little kids because yeah. the swings are in the little kids' area that teenage girls do. So, you know, it's a, it's a really clear example where if you build what teenage girls want, some big swings out of the little kids' play area, another group will benefit. Swings is such a good example, right? Because I am 46 years old. And it's hard for me to walk past a swing if that park is empty. I want to have a go. In You know, in absolute honesty, it makes me sick in 30 seconds, but I still want to have a go on them. Absolutely. There's a park in Bath called Sydney Gardens, which has put in just outside the Lincoln's Barrier a huge swing. It's the biggest one I've ever seen. It's brilliant. And that's just there for everybody to use. And oh, again, yeah, again, more people benefit. Now... I'm sure people are listening going, oh, but like shelters are one of the things that come up time and time again. Teenage girls don't necessarily want to be in the house. They want to be out in the fresh air, but it might be raining. Somewhere that they can just hang out and chat, right? And shelters do exist. But this was really surprising to me from your report, even though I'm massively on board. And that is that what girls thought of some of the shelters that are already in place because they are positioned for them to watch the boys play sports. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah, it's the classic place. You put the teenage shelter next to the Luga, next to the skate park, which anyway actually deters girls because quite often, because there are so many boys on the skate park, they don't want to walk that close to it because of the fear of harassment because mm-hmm. you don't necessarily know who these boys are. But also, yeah, the, the psychology of that is just extraordinary. And when you talk to teenage girls, which is obviously the most important thing to do. Seems like you the do right anything, thing to do, yeah. Just going dogs, and they go, no, we don't, you know, I'm not here to check out the boys. I'm here to chat with my mates. Why would I want to be even near the skate park? Yeah. What kind of fool do you think I am? And that whole thing as well, of just it seems like an easy design tweet. You know, with the caveat that obviously I'm not an architect, I'm a journalist, but stuff that allows them to face each other so they can have a chat. It's really funny. once Because one of the key things that teenage girls tell us when we talk to them, which we do a lot because it's, it's absolutely cool to what we're doing because, frankly, I'm no longer a teenager and we need them to what? tell us what to do. This is news yeah. to me. <laughs> <laughs> but and they really want to face each other when they talk. And once you start watching teenage girls, you see this so clearly. So I, I've seen them using table, the table tennis tables provided in some parks mm-hmm. to sit and chat and face each other. I've also seen them sitting miles away from each other on a wall facing a bench just so they can sit yeah. and face each other and, and chat. And this, the solutions are so simple. You know, picnic tables work brilliantly. Curved seating, it's really not rocket science to do it. Um, and that's one of the great things. So many of the solutions that teenage girls want are really cheap. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't sound like too economically taxing either. What you can get also, for the price of a Mooga, you could get really quite a few sets of swings. Yeah, yeah. None of it, none of it is expensive at all, which is good news because it does mean that councils can look at it and go, we will add things in. 
And again, in Bath, they've just got some funding from the council to put in big swings, social seating. And what's going to be lovely, it's a hilly park. So they're digging a curved seating area into the hill. Oh, beautiful. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, that'll be wicked. Wicked. Sorry, I'm so 80s, aren't I? That'll be wicked. Any youth listening? Oh, yeah, she's one of us. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, Susanna, what are you doing with the Park Watch report and all of that delicious sex disaggregated data? Well, what we're going to use it for most is we spend a lot of our time talking to councils, talking to architects, talking to developers, just giving them an introduction to why they need to think about teenage girls. <laughs> so the most crucial thing is it's going to be the figures that do the talking from now on. We can prove that they really need to do something. But we're also, we, we as we talked about the policy issues, we're also trying to get both councils and government widely to think about what's written into policy and the impact that has on teenage girls. And I think the figures are going to be really important for influencing government, people like Sport England, to consider how their policies impact on teenage girls and what they need to do to make them more inclusive. Yeah, yeah. And what and what can we do? How can people get involved with Make Space for Girls? How can we push this forward? The best thing to do, because the United Kingdom is a very large country and we are a very small charity, is go to your local council and talk to them mm-hmm. and get them to think about it. Find a friendly councillor, explain the issue, hand over the part which report. There's loads more researchers on our website. Say, could we do something about this? Could you think about it? Could you present it to the council? Because we are trying to talk to them one council at a time, but it's a long and slow process. Yeah, I can imagine. So where can people get their mitts on the Park Watch report, please? If you go to our website, which is makespaceforgirls.co.uk, it's on the front page. There's a big link. Click on the link. You can download the report and everything else you need is in the resources library. And just really, yes, go and see what difference you can make in your local area. Another chat, because it doesn't just have to be equipment. There's a great park in York called Roundtree Park. And they've spent the summer running activities for teenage girls, literally mostly on voluntary help. They've, they've done everything from orienteering to photography to TikTok dancing, a million things, just to bring the girls into the park and make them feel it belongs to them. So if you if you belong to a Friends of the Park group, there's loads of stuff you can do on almost no money that can make a big difference to teenage girls. And the report looks lovely as well, by the way. It's very easy to read. The stats are really clear and they're in lovely bubbles, so you can just pick them out. So well done there, because sometimes documents like that are a bit bit of a headache, but yours is a delight. Well, an absolute shout out to Carly, who designed it. I would heartily recommend her for anybody who wants to do some very cool but very pushy graphing design, because she's been amazing. <laughs> she, designed, she designed all of the Parkwatch materials from start to finish, and she's really made a difference to the impact. I'm pretty sure you just described yourself there, Susanna. Cool, but pushy. <laughs> she's even cooler than me, because she lives in Brighton. <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. That's unfair, though. That's an unfair advantage. <laughs> Where can people find Make Space for Girls on the socials, please? Yeah, uh, we're, st- we're still on Twitter stroke X, which kind of works actually for us. It's all right for a business. It's getting a bit leery if you're a person. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. We're also on Blue Sky. It's seeking you will find us. Absolutely brilliant. Susanna, thank you so much for all the work you do and for sparing some time to have a natter with me. Thank you for amplifying what we do because it's people like you sharing it that actually is going to make the biggest difference. Standard Issue for All Women.